Daniel 12, reading verses 1 to 13, and bringing this to a conclusion. Let's hear the Word of God. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the day. There is indeed the Holy Word of God. May He bless it. Well, uh, to bring us to the conclusion is to take us back uh, to the beginning and understand uh, what we have been learning and striving for in the book of Daniel. And I set before you the premise that we were looking at Daniel from the perspective of living for Christ in our own modern day Babylon. Living for Christ, having our citizenship in heaven, but having to live in the secular and pagan society of our generation. Always and around us we have seen evil and sin, we have experienced temptations and tribulations, we have been met with the hostility of a world that always seeks to compromise our faith and our hope and our love in Christ. But what Daniel does is it meets us in the midst of those things 
to help us with our worldview perspective that we, like Daniel had to do, like his three friends, uh, Azariah, Mishael, Hananiah, what they had to do in their own time is to lay hold of this one essential truth to allow that to be the foundation of our worldview. And that is this, that our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is sovereignly ruling, reigning over all of earth's history, that He is sovereignly ruling over all the people of every generation, of every nation. He is ruling over all things for His glory and the good of the church. Do you believe that? (laughs) Does your life look like it believes that? How do you conduct yourself in such a manner that you say, I believe this truth. I am living out this truth in my life. And I believe Daniel has brought out those principles for us even in our day. It is also noteworthy to understand this point within this worldview of God's sovereign reigning and ruling over all earth's history is that He has neatly divided earth's history and revolved earth's history around the glorious event of His Son coming in the flesh and coming at the end of days. It's all about the work and glory of Jesus Christ coming to deliver His people from their sins and from death. I mean, we have divided earth's histories into months and years and centuries and millennia. But God has said from the fall that there is a time, He called it, Galatians 4.4, The fullness of time. (laughs) Time has become full. And He sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And then the rest of the time, from that time of Christ's first advent till the end of the days, it is framed by the first and second advent of Christ. That He is coming again at the end of days to bring forth the, the kingdom of God on the earth and to bring forth the judgments of God upon all of the nations and to bring forth the glorified bride of Christ in that day. And history has been framed by God by those two glorious events. And this is something where Daniel takes us. Chapter 12 brings us to the very end of days, the conclusion of all things. That's why I've entitled this sermon, uh, the, the words, the closing words of verse 13, the end of the days. He's brought us here. God is saying to Daniel, He is indeed sovereignly ruling right up to that time when earth's history shall end and the righteous shall be brought forth shining like the brightness of the firmament, like the stars forever and ever. That's one of the great things 
that I, I have uh, seen in Scripture when it speaks about the glory and the glorification of the saints that is waiting for us in Christ. Do you know how Scripture uh, helps us to imagine what it is like? Well, Jesus, in the parable in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and tares, I think it's verse 48, Matthew 13, that he says, and in that day, in that day when the Lord returns, the righteous shall shine forth like the sun. That's how it's communicated, that we will, in our very being, show forth the glory of the brilliance of the holiness of God. Doesn't that excite your souls? <laughs> Isn't that something to consider in that day? And Daniel speaks of that same. Those who are wise. That is, those who uh, have come to that faith in Christ, who have claimed Him as Lord and Savior, if you will. They shall shine, verse 3, like the brightness of the firmament. What a glory waits for us. The end of days. You know, our culture, even our current culture, society around us, has a fascination and preoccupation with the end of the world. They just have a very bad, false view of it. (laughs) Did you know that in the last two decades, one of the chief genres of film in the industry of Hollywood, if you will. One of the chief genres has been apocalyptic movies. (laughs) Looking at the end of days. Movies that are showing an end to the world or to society as we know it. Coming by a variety of means. Uh, I've never seen so many zombie movies advertised. But even there, they are looking at how a disease will come and devastate the populations of the world. Or alien invasions or cosmic disasters. And most recently, and this is where uh, the uh, uh, atmosphere, pun intended, The atmosphere of society comes out in the environmental destructions that are looming for us. We hear it all the time. And how that even translates into an ideology that that we need to do something about the global climate crisis and, and how that has been brought on by overpopulation. So we need to stop having children. You know, what what kind of logic is is that? It's crazy, isn't it? It's insanity. And yet, I remember how they called us foolish when we talk about the end of time and the Lord returning in power and great glory and bringing an end to the world as we know it. And what I've noticed... And this is just personal observation. I don't really want to say there's much uh, statistical information to back this up. But this is just my own summation, if you will. What I've noticed about people's view of the end of the world or the end of society 
is that is that most people are fearing the destruction of this world, but they're not fearing their own personal end. And isn't that strange? And it seems to be governed, if you will, by these these four premises in, in people's fear of the end of the world. And that and it all revolves around mankind. Listen. And again, these are my summations, but I think once I say them, you're going to say, yeah, I, I, I agree that I've seen that. One of their premises is that mankind is going to destroy the world. And mostly due to our ineptness. <laughs> but the second that follows it is this, this belief that mankind can save the world. <laughs> And yet, we don't even comprehend 10% of it. And, and the third is that our greatest dilemma is mankind's relationship to the world. <laughs> and the fourth is that mankind's greatest evil is their exploitation of this world. And, and, and the reason I find these premises really strange and yet prevalent is that nobody wants to look at themselves and understand who they are as creatures of God and understand that this is God's creative work and were it not for His sustaining power and authority over all things, this world would have been gone before. Nobody is looking at themselves and recognizing that their greatest evil is their arrogance and rebellion against the knowledge of God. Daniel has been revealing that truth to us continually. But here we are at the end of Daniel, and particularly chapter 12, I think, comes in in such a wise way to confront even these false premises of our day. Most people's thinking about the destruction of this world and yet unconcerned about their own personal end. Daniel chapter 12 is a response to those lies and that blindness of Satan that has come upon the people against God. And what our worldview testifies to is this truth. And this is very much a part of our worldview. That the time is coming when this world's history will end. And that will happen when the Lord Jesus Christ rises from His throne of grace and He comes in the clouds in power and great glory to judge the living and the dead. Isn't that our confession? Isn't that what we confess with the creeds of the church? And in that awesome and fearful day, all, all people of every age will be raised up and made to stand before the throne of judgment. Daniel takes us there. Verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, the Old Testament 
holds the same view as the new in respect of that day of judgment. And the thing is that this is something that has been revealed to us, to the church. And it has been revealed to us so that we we can endure the trials, the tribulations, the evil and wickedness of, of the world in which we live, so that we can live and endure to the glory of God. And I submit to you uh, in, in our time remaining the three things that this chapter brings out, three things that we need in order to endure faithfully to the end of days. And the first thing we need is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Now that's, that's a great thing. There's much to be said about that. But I want to draw your attention to verse 4 and verse 9 where, where Daniel is told to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Twice he's told that these words are, are to be sealed. That doesn't mean what we might think it means. It doesn't mean hide these words. Rather it means, Daniel, you have these words. They have been revealed to us. And now seal them. For they are true words that will come about at the end of days. And and some of the events, the words of this prophecy... They've been sealed. They have been unfolded. For example, the events of Antiochus Epiphanes. They were set for a future generation. Yet they have now been revealed to Israel. God wanted His own people to be aware that in two centuries they are going to experience the horrors of what has been recorded in this book. They've been revealed to Israel through Daniel with this purpose that the wisdom of God in sovereignly ruling these things, that in that wisdom of God, Israel would conduct herself in faith and holiness in that day of trouble. Remember what Jesus said to Peter, and I I believe very much that's His prayer for us all the days of our life. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And and in the times of deep trouble, I know we have trials in our day. We we have that mild persecution, if you will. We have name-calling. We have harassment. We have restrictions. We have these things. And And in our society and setting, these are hard things. But I can't imagine being in some of those places like Cameroon where the church is constantly attacked and wicked and vile men come and kill your children and you don't struggle in your faith. That's a hard thing, isn't it? Is our God mighty? That would be one of my questions. Does God really know what He's doing? If He is ruling over these things, then why, oh God, why are we so despised and so treated? 
Daniel says, seal these words, shut them up, seal them in the book until the time. Israel would have been reading this. And that time comes. Oh, how prepared are they for it? You see, this is wisdom for living by faith. And and we read here in verses 10 and 11, the truths of things that are going to increase. Wickedness is going to increase. Verses 10 and 11, wickedness. The wicked shall do wickedly. None of the wicked are going to understand, but the wise will understand. What's he saying there? He's saying there that the, the wise, those who are in Christ, will, will understand that yes, wickedness will increase. Lawlessness, rebellion, self-idolatry, uncleanness. These things are going to abound in the life of those who have rejected God and cast off His law who have exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and who worship and serve the creature rather than God who is blessed forever. Well, a a nation, a society that does that, yes, wickedness is going to increase. And in fact, as we know from Romans 1, it gets to a point where God just hands the society over to the lusts and vile passions and debauchery and degradation and immorality that that rises within humanity. God says this is the consequence of rejecting God and of abandoning His glory, exchanging that truth for the law, for the lie. Church, get ready for it. It's not a... Again, it's not a a sign, as I said last week, where the world is spinning out of control. Our worldview kicks into play. God is ruling sovereignly over this. But He wants you to be wise. To have His wisdom governing you. And not only will wickedness increase, that you see in in verse 7, persecution abominations, verse 11, will increase. They will purposely come against you, the people of God. He says it there in verse 7. Can you imagine when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered? In verse 11, the abomination of desolation set up in the holy of holies. Persecution is going to increase. And that has been a standard throughout the history of the world when God's righteous people serve Him. The world hates it. From Cain who struck down his brother because Abel was righteous and his offering was righteous. (laughs) Recall when God set out to deliver Israel from Egypt. Remember there when he sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh and and they come in the authority of God and they say to Pharaoh, in the name of God, let my people go. What was the first thing that happened to Israel after that? The first thing Pharaoh did was make the life of Israel even more miserable. 
Take away the straw. Make their enslavement and bondage heavier. Let them feel that they are hopeless. That their God is nothing compared to Pharaoh. Jesus prepares us with that same wisdom to guard our hearts. What did He say in the Beatitudes after He spoke so many of them that just would encourage us? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth. Blessed, blessed, blessed. And it goes on until, what, the last one. Then what does He say? To shake us up. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly, excuse me, exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Look beyond this persecution to the glory that is waiting for you when I draw you into my presence. And my friends, how can you do that in the wait and time of persecution? It's when this wisdom of God guards you. When you have the wisdom of God in Christ sealed upon your soul. When you realize this truth That even as wickedness will increase, persecution will increase, God has responded to Satan and to the evil of this world with the wisdom of Christ. What does John write in 1 John 3? Christ Jesus was revealed to take away our sins, our lawlessness, for in Him there is no sin. And for this purpose, the Son of God was revealed that He might what? Destroy the works of the devil. And that's what God is about in every generation. Even though it may not seem so clear and plain to our eyes, God who does not lie, God who has responded to the wickedness of this world in the wisdom of His Son, has said He has come for this purpose. And Christ has done these very things for us. He has taken away the penalty of our sins. He's taken that away from us. He has taken away from us, the power of sin, our bondage to lawlessness has been broken. And the promise that yet remains for us is that He will completely take away the very presence of sin from all of the earth on the day of His return. He even said His words even to those who have done lawlessness within His church, He will make these, state these words. He will say, Depart from Me, you workers of iniquity and lawlessness. And we know this. And it's this wisdom that is guarding us so that we can walk in faith and hope and love. We also need 
enduring patience. And you see that coming out in verses 5 to the end. It's, it's just the general statement there that, that Daniel is sealing this up and, and, and he's, he's wondering. Uh, he, the question is actually asked by another. But it's no doubt on his own mind. You look at verse 6, the question. How long? How long, O oh God? I, I found it very interesting that I almost dared, well, I'm going to say it, but I almost dared to believe that this is the most asked question of Scripture. You go through the Psalms. How long, O oh Lord? <laughs> How long? The apostles asked something similar when they were hearing about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem and the coming of the end of the age. And they asked that very question, tell us, when will be these things? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? How long? And even more when you're suffering. In our Bible study this past week, in Revelation 6, that was the fifth seal, wasn't it? How long, O Lord, just and true, how long will you allow your saints to be martyred? How long will it be until the vengeance that belongs to you is exacted on those who have shed the blood of your precious people? How long? And God gives His response to Daniel In verse 7, verse 11, verse 12, in a very, very mysterious way. And I am in no way going to be interpreting uh, those numbers and that time figure that has been there. But here's God's response to that question. Verse 7, it shall be for a time, times and half a time. And then he answers it again. In verse 12 and verse 13, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Sorry, verse 11. Uh, it, It will be from the time of the daily sacrifice when it is taken away and the abomination of desolation is shut up. There will be 1,239 days. And blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. What a mysterious way to answer the question. But why does God answer it in that way? Because He wants you to know that the time is set. That these things aren't going on forever. That God has sealed history. Come back to this again. With the bookends of the advents of His Son. And the times are set. Now sadly, many churchmen have taken these time frames and used them to try and predict the return of Christ. Even some Reformed people have done that. But what has Christ said about the end of days? He's very specific. Matthew thirteen thirty-two. Of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, In His humanity, Christ walked by faith in the promises of God. But only the Father 
of that day and hour, no one knows but only the Father. And yet, so many try. (laughs) Try to know. And sometimes I think, even the church today, even in our own conversations, we sometimes speculate. Again, don't know how many times I have heard Christians say, well, these must be the last days because it's so evil now. And I don't want to say it casually that you haven't seen anything yet. But the heart of man is desperately wicked. And even in saying that, it's a mild attempt to predict the end of the days. It was not for Daniel to know. It's not for us to know. God's answer to this question, how long, is is strange with those numbers. But what isn't strange is, is how he describes the circumstances for us. Look how he answers the question, how long, in verse 7. It will be until the fire of persecution against His people and His church has reached its fullness. Till the power of the holy people has been completely shattered. Not quite a response you'd expect, is it? (laughs) But the weight of persecution will rise. It will not be, and to take this again, With verse 11, it will not be until the blasphemy and the wicked idolatry of mankind against God and His Son rises before His presence in all its fullness. And you have the evidence of that in Scripture. God came and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because the evil of that city in all its fullness had risen up into His glorious presence and His anger and wrath was kindled. The same thing with Nineveh. You read those words. Their wickedness has risen up in its fullness before me. Well, the same in respect of how long. And until the fire of persecution and until the wickedness of blasphemy and idolatry has reached its fullness, until then, the Lord is seated on His throne of mercy because He has People to save. There's the power of his sovereignty at work in mysterious ways. And until then, the Lord will wait. In the day of the Lord, it will come. And in that day, he will raise you up to your inheritance. That day is marked. There's a second question in verse 8. When, when he hears this one, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? In other words, Daniel is asking this question, what will be happening in these times? And he, he tells us in verse 10, great ignorance will be upon the wicked. And even Jesus made that statement you remember when in, in Matthew 24, when his disciples asked him, you know, what a, what's, what's going to happen? What will be 
the end of these things. And, and Jesus then goes on to tell them, but it's not as we expect. Listen to what He says. The ignorance of the wicked will be great. As in that day and hour that no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, it will be as the days of Noah. It's going to be a time as it was in those days before the flood. The people were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They carried on in their abominations. They carried on in their iniquities. They carried on as though life was theirs to live to its fullest without any regard to God. And they did not know until the day came and they were sealed out of the ark. So it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. A great ignorance. They will carry on as if life will go on forever. And that's the tragedy with the wicked. They live in ignorance. They are unprepared, unconcerned, and unaware of the eternal judgment that they are under until it overtakes them. But there's another thing going on there. And this is to encourage us as God's people. And you see it in verse 10. Many shall be purified, made white, refined. The wise shall understand. And what God is communicating in those times is that tremendous grace will be upon His people. God will be at work purifying, cleansing, refining His beloved children. And the wise will understand that Christ is continuing to build His church. He is saving His elect. He is keeping all whom He has been given for that last day even as He works to subdue all things to Himself. Do you believe that? His grace is still at work in a marvelous way. And so we endure. We persevere. Because we know these things. And the last and very quickly, you see it at the end, we need to hope in the Lord. Blessed is he who waits, who comes to his rest, who will arise to his inheritance at the end of days. You shall rest. I think something in in verse 13 when he speaks about resting, that it intimates that for us until that time of rest comes, we are laboring. We are laboring as witnesses. We are laboring in righteousness and good works. We are fighting the good fight. We are wrestling against sin and wickedness. But we have the promise that we will rest from these things. Something that was very much true and realized in Roland's life. The hope and the promise that is ours in the Lord. That those who believe in Jesus Christ and know Him to be the resurrection and the life, even though they may die. What's what's the next slide? Yet they shall live. That the Lord Himself 
declares that you will find rest in Him. And especially the hope and glory of the the sting of death having been taken away. The, The victory of death has been quenched by Christ. And that for us, death is life. In death, your spirit, as he, as he speaks in the opening verses of this chapter, in death, your spirit will be gathered by the angels into the beloved presence of the Father and the Son. Your body will be watched over by them while it is in the grave until the fullness of your hope is realized in the day of resurrection glory. And you shall rise to your inheritance. Isn't it something how in the Old Testament the hope of the glory of the resurrection unto eternal life was theirs to rest in? And the thing about that day of the Lord is that we will see death swallowed up in the victory of life. When we are transformed in the flesh, when we are raised to everlasting life and the brilliance of the glory of God comes upon us and and in the righteousness and holiness of Christ, we shine like the stars forever and ever. We are so transformed that we will be living eternally with our God. So we need to hope in the Lord. We need wisdom. We need enduring patience. We need hope. My friends, it is the Lord who gives us these things. The power and strength of His Spirit. So that we may stand in this day and serve the glory of our God. The end of days is coming. Are you ready for it? Do you live in hope of it? Is your faith, even in these days of wickedness and evil, is your faith strengthened in the knowledge that our sovereign God has ordered all things for His glory and our good? Let us pray.